We often think about cities as places and collections of buildings. But cities are also people. And more than ever, cities are people who are on the move. This impacts the ways we think about discipleship and church life in the city. In this episode, my guest Jacob Boss and I will talk about these dynamics as it relates to urban church planting. I'm Michael Crane, and this is Mission City, a podcast about the urban revolution and how the church can serve the city. I'm a researcher and writer on the intersection of cities and the Christian faith. Our guest is no stranger to Mission City. In fact, he's even been a host on a few episodes. Jacob has been thinking about urban church planting for over a decade. He has done church planting work in a large city of Asia, as well as in London, and he currently leads the work of the IMB throughout Europe. We want to welcome Jacob Boss to our podcast today. I'll let Jacob tell a little bit about what he's been doing and what he's doing now. Yeah, thanks, Michael. It's really good to be here with you. I don't know, it was probably seven years ago that God really laid cities on my wife and I's heart as I was traveling and landing in a lot of these big cities around the world, from Dubai to Abu Dhabi to big cities in West Africa and Asia, from Hong Kong to Tokyo, and really just realizing that there's a lot more that's needed for us to see the kind of gospel traction in these cities that that's needed today with the growth rate we're seeing in the cities and, and all of the different dynamics at play. And so my wife and I moved to a city in South Asia and began to think about reaching a city with a more comprehensive strategy. So how do we think about how cities function? And then based on how the cities function, how do we implement a core missionary task strategy? And so we moved to big city in South Asia about seven years ago. About four and a half years ago, we ended up moving to the city of London, England, And so started off in a big city in Asia and then moved to a big city in in Europe. And so just navigating those different dynamics uh, has been really interesting and pretty fascinating. Uh, Just seeing some of the commonalities of cities, whether it's Asia, Africa or Europe, and then seeing some of the differences. Yeah. So what would you say are commonalities between cities everywhere you've been? Yeah, I think the, the commonalities would be a limitation of time. So most people don't have time in any yeah. city you go to. Transience is another one that that was common, at least between this big city in South Asia and London, that people are on the move. Even within the city, uh, like in London, they say the more central you get to the city, every nine months, somebody they move somewhere else in the city. Uh, Mumbai had had fairly similar dynamics to that, especially as you got, got younger generation. So lack of time, very transient, and then a lot of time traveling. So they spend a lot of time in transportation, public transportation generally. Those are some of the commonalities. That, that yeah. Um, and then a couple of things that you've noticed were really different <clears throat> going from South Asia to Europe. Yeah. So South Asia, the cities were a lot larger than okay. the cities in Europe, but they were much more regional, meaning that the peoples that filled those cities were from the general area, mm. from the general region, whereas London 
is a little bit smaller of a city. It's about 10 million people, but it's very global. It has Mm -hmm. people from all over the world living in that city. So it created some unique dynamics as we began to think about church planting and church planting multiplication in just the different worldviews and languages and how we approach some of those, some of those things. So you, earlier you mentioned comprehensive strategy. Can you help me contrast that with the way missions thinking has gone in recent years? And then what's different when we're thinking about cities of our, our day now? What changes there and just the missions dynamics, the strategy dynamics? Yeah, I think it's really important to have a a micro view because that's where execution takes place. Okay. So if you're going to have execution and see a church planted and a church started, you have to find a place and get to work in that local area. But I think in order to do that more effectively, you need to zoom out and see how does a city function? What, What are the different groups of people and how they would relate in my city? Where are the more transient places to my city versus more stable areas Mm. of my city? Um, What are some of the worldview dynamics as all these people mix together? Is there a a fairly common meta worldview that has has come about? So while you you have to have a a local view to get execution and actually engage in in the work, I think it's really helpful to, to zoom out just to think about how does the city function because that's going to allow you to be more effective as you as you engage in your more local area. Okay. Do you use any tools when you're zooming out? I watched you enter London and fairly quickly get a kind of a grasp of the city. So what did you do to, to get that grasp? I mean, I asked a lot of questions of key influencers, of key leaders in the Christian world. Uh, some of them would have been more conservative. Some of them would have been more liberal. Uh, so my, my intent wasn't necessarily a theological one initially. It was more of a, hey, how do you look at the city? How does the city function? As you're looking at engaging the city in ministry, what are some ways that you're looking at the city? Uh, in, in South Asia, it was much more of a people group approach, and that really worked well. And so we looked at people segments, professionals and students, as well as then some unique people groups. As we came to London, there was such a mixing of the people that a geographic approach seemed to work better. Okay, And so that would be the difference zooming out of, of seeing the, the people dynamics in South Asia versus a more geographical approach in, in London. What I hear you saying, and I want to make this point extra clear, is you're not trying to force your categories or your missiology on top of the city. You're really trying to look at the city openly and then figure out what's going to make the most sense to reach the city. Yeah. For sure. Now, I obviously have a very clear idea of, of who I am and what I what I feel like uh, are my giftings and what I feel like is biblical missiology. And so I'm definitely bringing that to the table. Yeah. Um, and, and it needs to mix into the ecosystem of the of the city for sure. I think as I think about the core missionary task, I would kind of think about them in six components or six parts. So okay. we want to enter into new places where the church <laughs> is not. We want to share the gospel boldly and broadly. We want to make disciples of existing and new believers. We want to see those new believers form into new churches. And then from that, we want to see leaders raised up, leadership development. And then uh, for my role, I want to entrust the work to locals so that I can move on and help the next work kind of get started. 
So as I'm entering a city, I, I definitely know who I am. I know what I'm trying to accomplish with those six parts of what I think is the missionary task. But it definitely has to fit into the broader ecosystem that you're navigating in, in the yeah. city. You said passing it on to locals. Who's local in London? So originally coming to London, actually, I was using the word national. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then, then the question came up. So what is a Brit? Who is a Brit? Right. Uh, and because of the the uh, either assimilation or integration of peoples into the to the culture, you know, I really think in London, the last 40 years has been about immigration. Um, those coming into London. Yeah. And so now what, we're what dealing Ray with... What Ray Bakke calls the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. All the, all, yep, they're all coming back to to England. Yeah. And now what we're beginning to see is a dynamic of the second and third generation that are there that are Brit on the inside, but they don't look white Brit on the outside. Yeah. And so it creates some unique dynamics. Yeah. I would say anyone who's living in the city is local. Yeah, that's in, right. in a sense, even... No yes. matter what the passport says or... Yes, that's why we switch it from national to local. Yeah. It's because really whoever, whoever's there. So we want to reach any local that's there. And we feel like for sustainability, those that have UK passports... Are going to be the long term. Are going to be the long term. So yeah. if they can get kicked out of the country, then they're probably not going to be a long term sustainability. We still want to work with them, equip them. Yeah, those that would hold a British passport. You and I have talked about over the years, given that cities around the world do share some unique characteristics that with cities around the world, like the the lack of time, like, you know, transportation. I think some other things, you know, the just the division of labor is unique. So everyone's got something that they're they're doing that's different from everyone else. That's a unique characteristic of cities. And the larger the city, the more unique, specialized the work, the labor. When you're thinking about church planting, what are some things you're thinking about in terms of seeing new churches that are indigenous to the urban context? Yeah, I think, you know, coming into Mumbai and when God really put this on our heart seven or eight years ago, the cities, just going back to that idea of contextualization, it's something cross-cultural missions that we learn and have done for a while, but how are we contextualizing to the city? And as, as I was looking at all the different dynamics and, and the what I'll call a model of church, the models of church that were being planted, there seemed to be a disconnect or as we're planting these these churches that need a core group of people for a long period of time to be sustainable, mm-hmm. both financially and leadership wise, mm-hmm. we're putting those into cities which are highly transient, very expensive. And so there seemed to be some disconnects there. And so just utilizing contextualization, beginning to think about you know, what does the church need to look like in a city? And probably it needs to look different in different parts of the city. Yeah. I know I've been in cities in, in different parts of Asia where in some ways what, what you see there is, uh, I don't know, sometimes it's even like a village church that's been put into a city and they're still relating to each other like they would in a village setting and then not relating to the city as the city is. And so they remain pretty insular and not engaged with the rest of the city. What are some thoughts related to urban church? What might look different about an urban church as you're thinking about this? Yeah, I think first off, to get good contextualization, you have to look at the Bible. That has to be a baseline. So digging into the word, I think Jerusalem gives us a decent picture of what it could look like. So in Jerusalem, in Acts 2, we have 
devout Jews from every nation under heaven. So we know we have multiple languages. We have different cultures at play. The Holy Spirit does a unique work and communicates to each individual language. And we see 3,000 saved there in Acts 2. Acts 2, 37 to 47, for whatever reason, I never considered it multilingual, even though it obviously was, until I got to Asia and started thinking about cities. But Acts 2, 37 to 47, kind of the first church that formed there in Jerusalem, it had to have been multilingual and multicultural. And as I've kind of looked at unity in the Bible, it's, it's really fascinating how the Spirit brings unity from the language side. And then if we jump over to uh, 1 Corinthians, we see that the Spirit brings unity to Greek, Jew, slave, free. And over in Galatians, we see that the Spirit brings unity, uh, Greek, Jew, slave, free, male, female. And so the Spirit brings a unity, but the the Spirit does not make them speak all the same language. Mm. And so it still seems to honor the beauty of diversity of the church. So in thinking about what does the church look like in a city, I really started digging into to the Acts 2 church and thinking about what, what would that have looked like? Because they had a, a unique unity, but obviously it was important that they heard things in their own languages. Mm. And so I think it creates a very complicated picture yeah. of we could see churches that have unique languages, but they seem to be unified together under the cause of Christ in, in a city. So then flush that, that out in London, what, would, what do you imagine that to look like? Yeah, so, so in London, obviously English is going to be uh, a primary language that's spoken because that would be the trade language. Yeah. So those that are coming, they're going to study, and they're going to need to study in English. Those that are coming to work are going to need to know English to work. And so I think English is a great language for evangelism. Mm. But once we get into discipleship, we've learned that there might need to be a different language for discipleship because now you're beginning to deal with heart issues and worldview issues yeah, going deeper that could yeah. be a little bit different. So I think evangelistically we can have a pretty broad strategy. When we get into discipleship is where we need to to think a little bit differently and who needs what and and dig in a little bit deeper. So then how that plays into your ecclesiology um, would be either those people need to group together in the same church. So you have churches that would be linguistically based mm. or they could group together in a broader grouping and have discipleship. So their gathering could be in English, but the discipleship could happen in smaller groups. In- so the way we've typically done it is more that first option, right? It's just to start churches. You know, you guys speak Chinese. And so you start a Chinese church, you guys speak Turkish. So you're going to have a Turkish church. Right. And, and what you're saying, another possibility is, you know, you do share this common trade language and maybe there's some things you do together as a big group and then for discipleship, do some smaller things. Yeah. What are some other thoughts you have related to contextualizing the church in urban context? Yeah, I think one of the huge challenges to what, what I'll call a traditional model of church, and by that I just mean that, you know, this church is going to be in existence for 120 years and it's going to be a generation of people, same families, that long-term commitment from a group of people. Mm. So that traditional church model, again, runs up to unique challenges in cities with transients and all those kind of things. And so I think if if we think about the success of church, if you will, as longevity, that might not be the right way to gauge success. 
Mm. And actually, if again, if we look at Acts, we see in Acts 8, this unique scattering of the church in Jerusalem. Yeah. So there is a core group that is discipled. And then in Acts 8, they're scattered to the nations. And I think that is a very, that's a very relevant rhythm to cities where they're going to come to cities and then they're going to scatter out, either whether it's to another part of the city or to even the nations. What's amazing in Acts 8 is those that are scattered, we know that those that are scattered started the church in Antioch. We know that Philip, as he was scattered, was able to preach the gospel boldly. So those that were scattered knew what to do. Yeah. And so I think as we think about our ecclesiology in the city, instead of thinking about holding people for a long period of time, it's how do we equip them while they're here mm. and they're going to scatter and go to the nations. And so how do we even, even evolve that in our metrics as we think about our church? And so in London, we're working with several church planters and beginning to shift and think about and look at, um, man, what, what has happened to your church in the last five years? And so there, there's a great brother in central London who has been planting for seven years and he started from the harvest, meaning he just went out and started sharing the gospel. He had a core conviction. He wasn't going to bring other believers on board. And so he's worked hard for the seven years. And he was pretty discouraged when we first started meeting. And as we were discussing, he kept talking about, you know, these people who went over there and these people who went over there and these people who went back to their own country. And I asked him, how many people have been through your church? And as we yeah. added it up, even though at that point he only had 30 that were attending his church, up to that point, which is about six years, he'd had over 170 people mm. that have been through his church. Yeah. And so then I just started asking him, all right, where have those people gone and what have they done? It gave him a grand picture of what God had actually accomplished. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, people. some people have described cities as sort of having this kind of heart kind of motion to it, even on a daily basis, people pumping into the city during the day, pumping back out at night, but there's this pulsing rhythm to a city and whether it's the daily rhythm or whether it's that moving in and out every nine months or 18 months. So I found in scripture, you actually see some of that same rhythm with cities. You see this movement in and out of cities in Isaiah, you see the nations coming to Jerusalem, and then you see them being sent out to to tell more people and to herald the good news. And so it's an amazing similarity, I think, actually, to what we can see today and to celebrate that and to even strive for it. What do we need to do differently? What do you tell this church planter in central London for him, it's like running to stand still, right? Yeah, it's like running on a treadmill. Which is tiring. Yeah. And so what do you tell him to, to encourage him? Or what do you do to help find some ways forward there? Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things we're trying, and again, keyword here, trying, is to look at different parts of the city that would have more consistent population, so less transients. Mm. And there are parts of the city where people move to whether they have younger kids that they're going to plant themselves there. So they're more stable. And so we're looking at planting more of the, again, traditional model. And I think that those are still important and we need those, but planting those in more of the stable parts of the city. And then you can get a, a much more sustainable church financially and leadership wise, and then look at the more transient parts of the city to, to base from that. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that, mm-hmm. that we're trying. So sort of like a flagship church in a way that, yeah. or a hub church where they 
help support some other things going on. Yeah. And then we also have quite a bit of work going on in the professionals. I think professionals are the key actually to reaching cities. Most people spend up to 60 hours a week, either transporting or in the office place in most cities. And they generally do not live where they work. Because again, the transit time is up to an hour is the average transit time each way in London. And so as we've been engaging the city and the professionals, we've learned a lot. Again, as I look at the New Testament, I see this pattern of a day-by-day rhythm that they have. And so how do you get a day-by-day rhythm, especially when they're at work all day? And what the professionals will say is, man, we're exhausted at night. I'm going home. My kids want to spend time with me. And so the daytime really is, is the core time that they have to be involved in discipleship and small groups, but that's not where their home church on the weekend would be. And so really we're starting in London to look at a partnership between the center of the city and the suburbs. Mm. And so gathering these professionals together in the city to get day by day discipleship happening, but knowing that on the weekends, they're going to worship with their families, either at a church that already exists or when they're in the city center, we try to put them together based on where they are on the weekends, mm-hmm. if there's not a church there. And so that way they can go back and start, begin to start a church together as they're being discipled. So I think even thinking about what would it look like to have a, a suburb, suburb center of the city partnership mm-hmm. happening where, again, professionals are going to spend a vast majority of their time right. at work in the center of the city, but that's not necessarily where they're going to worship. And so how do we begin to think about that? You know, we lived in the L.A. area and we were 40 miles from downtown L.A. And on a Monday morning, that's a lot longer than 40 miles. You know, that's a long parking lot, the parking lot of highways in L.A. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of our neighbors, that's what they that was their rhythm every day is they would drive hour and a half, two hours, one direction to work and then come back and even the committed Christian, at most they can get to church on a Sunday morning. We cannot disciple a city that way. You know, it's not sufficient. And so figuring out that the discipleship piece in the places where they're working is critical. So I think we've got to think through solutions like that. But then I'm mindful of the fact that pastors have this really strong shepherding heart. Yeah, they rightly so. want to make sure they're shepherding the flock and to pass discipleship on to someone who's 40 miles away is really to let go of that. I think we've got to think through some solutions that bring trusted relationships together Mm -hmm. to, to make that work well. It means that we need more collaboration to think through how we are not to take away from the local church, but how do we also imagine ourselves as the the church of the city. Yeah. And in London, they've invited those suburban pastors. If the professionals in the city go to a church on the weekend, they've invited those pastors into what's happening during the week. Mm. And some of them come once a week, some of them come once a month, but it's, it's creating more of a partnership where those pastors still have a role in shepherding their folks and even have a role in what's happening in the city and so I, I think that's one way that we could could look at that. But yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot that we're still learning of how these dynamics work. I think in the New Testament, we see this from the temple to house to house. 
yeah. dynamic and rhythm as right. well. Public, private. Public, private. And so there is like a, a temple house to house. And, and so even just thinking through some of those practical realities, because obviously they're pastor is their pastor and that doesn't change. Yeah. But how we effectively disciple knowing these dynamics of a city, which again, I think are actually very much like the new Testament. So Mm. I would say they're unique, but again, because of the scattering of the church that happened in, in the new Testament, I think it's, it's something we've seen in history. You see it again in Acts 19 when Paul is in Ephesus, Yeah, you know, he's got this hall downtown Ephesus, I presume it's downtown Ephesus, teaching there for two years every day. And we know that as a result of that time, during that time period, these churches in other cities and towns around Ephesus were started. It's got to be because there was this flow of people coming into the major the major trade center of Ephesus and then taking this teaching back to these other places. Yeah, Thessalonica would be another example yeah. of that. Right. Like in First Thessalonians, we see, and again, Thessalonica, there was intense persecution. And we see that those believers from Thessalonica ended up actually everywhere. Is what it says yeah, they're famous for it, right? Yeah. Now, the other thing you mentioned earlier was because, you know, you just have so many different types of people in cities. And so what are some other ways that you might imagine church to look like in a city? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is in London, the higher up you go, the economic scale, mm. the higher class you get, the more mono-ethnic. Mm. And then as you move lower down, the more multi-ethnic you get. Mm. And I think it reflects the education system and those things Interesting. in general in London. So it just sort of naturally happens as you move down the class scale in London. I think, again, thinking about that unity and how do we bring the church together in unity, even though they might worship in a separate language, they're a part of what God is doing in the city. And they're a critical part to what God is doing in the city. And so yeah. I think I think that's a dynamic that we need to think think more about. Also on, on our people group approach, people groups are critical because again, you're getting to heart language, you're getting to worldview. The challenges that are existing now are as the peoples are mixing a mono people group approach in a city I've found is beginning to maybe work against us actually. In other words, if I'm saying, okay, I'm here and I'm only going to reach this people group, that people groups can interact with a whole lot of other people groups. Right. And so I, I think it would be helpful to keep the people group idea, but to look at it more in stereo instead of mono, because again, some people might that you would have never thought might actually fit very well together in discipleship and, and worship. And so I think keeping an open mind in terms of how, how that looks. The other challenge with the people group thing is the assimilation or the integration. And so they might look like one people group on the outside, but actually they are now British in their worldview because they were born and have gone through the whole education system there. And so I think those are some complications, challenges, but I actually think there are also opportunities yeah. that, we, that we have in cities but maybe stretching our, our idea and moving from a mono people group approach to much more of a stereo approach. We go back to circle back to this conversation about contextualization, right? And I think we have thought about ethnicity in a very kind of simplified manner, 
And often I think we speak out of, to American Anglos, we, we think about other cultures as exotic. And then we put on those other cultures sort of the traditional things of those cultures. At some point, I was listening to a woman who had studied tribal music of a, of a tribe in Malaysia. She's Malaysian. And then she was lamenting that in the process that in the city, she's like, we have lost our our music, you know, mm-hmm. meaning they're not listening to that tribal music anymore. But then, you know, you think about it, I imagine if you were to take statistics of music downloaded or listened to on YouTube or Pandora or whatever, Spotify, that you would not find so many people looking for the indigenous tribal music, but listening to a lot of modern pop, wherever it may be from, K-pop, J-pop, Cantopop, Justin Bieber pop. Yeah. And so then, like, what does contextualization look like in a city? It's going to be different than sort of what we've imagined it to be. So I know in KL, we've talked a lot about how it's structured with the different peoples that are there. Yeah. And there's probably more distinction between those peoples and KL. So how does how does it look there? There's distinctions with some peoples and then others there's not. And and I think, you know, you go into some of the like the lower cost apartments and you see some of what you just described. I mean, there are migrant workers, there are refugees, and then there are working-class Malaysians all living there and interacting in different ways. You know, And then, like you said, I think there probably is greater segregation, the higher up the pay scale. But then there's also some interesting fe- features. You know, like if you see a group of of Indians or Malays move to a community that is traditionally known to be Chinese, then to me, you know, I ask myself, why does this group want to live here? And it's because there's something they don't want to identify with in that in another place. They wanted to be in a place that was predominantly Chinese for whatever reason. Maybe it's for political reasons. Maybe it's, you know, just to break from maybe some community pressures and that sort of thing. And so you see this weird integration, but then there's still this, uh, I think the religious divide may be stronger than the ethnic divide. And that may be the the bigger hurdle to deal with. Now in a place like Singapore, it's mandated that people live in certain percentages. Each building is, you have to have a certain kind of has to reflect the Singaporean demographics. Hmm. And so you don't have ethnic enclaves in, in any manner in Singapore by government, you know, intention, which really makes it interesting for Muslims. They still are going to go to the places that serve halal food and sell halal products Uh, for the Indian community. They still need places that aren't going to serve beef and maybe even vegetarian places. And so you still have some congregating places that might be a little bit more ethnically oriented. Right now, uh, we're in, in the States, in Birmingham, Alabama, and Birmingham has a little area that Min Ha, who was on a previous episode, would call an ethnoburb. And it's almost like they took all of the ethnic stuff, you know, the halal grocery stores, the, the Asian supermarkets, Mexican grocery store, they're all within like a mile of each other. And it's like 
this is the spot to go and have all the delicious and interesting food. And that means that people live in proximity to that, which I don't know, it's an interesting dynamic in the city, what that looks like. That kind of ethnoburb would be a high place to plant some kind of multicultural, multi-ethnic church, I think. Yeah. So it sounds like contextualization in a city is not going to be a mono-contextualization. No. And I think that's something that I'm learning as I'm thinking more about cities is when I went to South Asia originally, I was focused on, really, it was a geographic area, but it was, a, it was peoples that were fairly similar worldview. And so the contextualization wasn't simple for me because I'm an American going into that, but I was contextualizing towards one thing. I think coming into a city, it's a very diverse contextualization. You know, I think we often think about contextualization if we kind of reduce it down in our minds. We're often thinking about what will make it easiest for someone to to hear the gospel and to worship regularly and to grow as a disciple. And I think when you're thinking about all of these layered cultural influences, then what it means is everyone sort of has to uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor of a multicultural church, he says, everyone should feel uncomfortable some of the time. And that should be part of what you give up to be a part of that body of Christ, which was really interesting. It made me think, you know, he asks himself, if I'm comfortable all the way through one of our services, he's like, there's probably something wrong. It's probably way too much catered for me. And so we need to make some adjustments there. That's good. Yeah. Other thoughts related to engaging cities? Just keeping an open mind, sticking to the word and allowing that to drive everything we do. But then knowing that there's going to be different approaches and different ways that that we look at even different parts of the same city that we're in. And I'm learning to become more comfortable with that. And I think it pulls me away from what I'm used to, which is not comfortable for me. Mm. And so in that, there's an inherent threat. But I think, again, if I stick with the word yeah. and, and stick with the Bible, then that helps me have a healthy contextualization. The last thing that, that I'll say here that, I, that the Lord's been teaching me is, you know, I really believe that the Lord loves diversity. Mm. I mean, even in heaven, he doesn't remove our earthly identities. We're worshiping around the throne, every people, tribe, language. And, and so he loves this diversity, even in the gifts of the church mm. that he gives. It's, it's a diverse church that we need each other. Yeah. So I think cities in that way are a representation of that beautiful diversity. Mm. But the importance of the spirit in all of that to bring a unity to the diversity. Yeah. And so how it's, it's not a uniformity. He's not making us all it's look, not a look the same. Unity. Yeah, look yeah. the same, sound the same. But I think I'm just learning that that it's okay to be diverse. Like there's a beauty in the diversity, but it's very critical that we're still have unity. Mm. And I think that's the picture of the church in Acts 2 mm. is diversity, but they were all unified together under the same umbrella of, of Christ. And that's my prayer and heart to see cities around the world who Christians, the church can represent a beauty of diversity. Yeah, And I think as we're looking out on the world today, we have a great opportunity in cities, especially to show, man, there's a beauty that God has in diversity. Yeah. We can keep our diversity, but be unified under the cause of, of Christ. And I think that's what the world needs to see. And I think churches and cities can really lead the way in that. Amen. Last question. What any resources that you would want to direct people towards? 
There's this really great podcast called Mission City Podcast. Yeah, you'll get your, your checks uh-huh. in the mail. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, we thank you, Jacob, for taking the time to, to share with us today. I think we're going to try to have another conversation and talk, unravel this urban enigma even further. So Sounds thanks good. for taking the time. Thanks, Michael. Many thanks to Jacob Boss for taking the time to be on the show today. Mission City is hosted by me, Michael Crane, and produced by Radius Global Cities Network and Scott Slusher. Today's episode was written by me and Scott Slusher. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll share it with friends and leave us a great review on whatever podcatcher you use to listen. It really helps. Thank you.